our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12. We're continuing. I know we are finishing up the book of Ephesians, and we will be finishing it. Last week, we got talking about worship just a little bit, and I just decided to stay on the topic of worship for a few weeks. And so I think that as, we get, as we've gotten back together and as we're focusing in on things, I don't think anything could be a better topic than worship. And so a few more weeks on worship, then we'll go right back into the Spirit-filled life of Ephesians chapter number 5 and 6. And so often we look at today, we look in our world and things, I want you to understand our worship of God is of supreme importance. There is nothing more important than worshiping God. And worshiping God the way He should be worshipped. And we think about it, this is what the Bible tells us in Psalm, I mean in John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, But the hour cometh and is now when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Do you read the end of that verse? For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is looking for those who will worship Him. The next verse says, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, which lets us know that if you're going to worship God, you must do it His way and not your own way. One of the big problems we have in 2020 is the fact that we like to worship God our way, which really is self-worship, if we're being honest, and not worshiping God the way He should be worshipped. And so tonight I want to dive into this and I want to give you this verse that we're looking at tonight. You know this verse in Romans chapter number 12. It gets quoted often. We see it often. Most of you could quote this verse tonight. But I want you just to focus in and pay attention to it. I want to give you some things to be a help to you in this area of worship. Before I dive any deeper, does anyone need an outline for tonight? There is an outline. If you didn't get one, there's some hands up. Marquise, you mind taking care of that? I'm going to be using Marquise till he's gone. He's only got a couple more weeks, so we'll take full advantage of him as long as it's possible. And Marquise, you could, you know, you really don't have to go to another church if you truly loved us and cared about us. Like he's telling me tonight, oh, it's going to be so hard to leave. Then if it's so hard, just stay. That's what I got to say right there. And uh, just tell Sandy you guys are coming here. Uh, it's possible. I'm just teasing you, Marquise he's moving to Orange County. He's going to be big stuff, making the big, big, making the big dollars. He's going to be rich. He's going to be Orange County finest over there. He's going to come back here and think we're ghetto when he comes back over here. He will forget all about us. He'll be the upper class eating Ruth Chris every week or things like that. And so we look at Romans 12. Look with me at verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's read that verse one more time. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. I pray that you would be pleased and that you would be glorified. We need you tonight. And I pray that as the message is preached, that you do a work in each of our hearts and help us in this area tonight. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 22, verse number 5 is the first time the word worship is mentioned in the Bible. 
We see an Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. What was Abraham doing there? If you remember, Abraham was taking his son Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice in obedience to God. And so one of the things that we see, and as we look at worship, the first time that it's mentioned in the Bible, and the first time that we see it, we see that worship was connected with obedience to God. Because Abraham was obeying God and going to do what God told him to do. And basically what Abraham says here is, hey, we'll be back. We're going to go worship God, and we'll be back. And I love how he says here, and we're going to come again to you. God told him to sacrifice his son, but, God, but Abraham also knew that his son was going to be the seed that God blessed. And so he had faith in God. And he was going to worship, and obedience and worship go hand in hand. I want you to see that tonight as we look at this verse. As we dive into this verse, you know this verse. Don't tune me out tonight. Focus in, and let's get some things from God and from his word. One last time, let's read that verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, they present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Number one tonight, if you're taking notes as we go along, there's five ways to worship from this verse. Number one is allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. Allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. Whatever, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should always look at the verses ahead of that to see why you should do something. When we come to chapter number 12, Paul is making a shift from doctrine, first 11 chapters of Romans, heavy in doctrine, going from doctrine to talking about our duty. Paul does this often in his books that he wrote. The book of Ephesians that we've studied for so long, the first three chapters, a lot of doctrine. And then you get to chapter verse number one and he says now it's time to do something because of what the lord has done for you that's how paul sets up several of his books galatians is that way there's several others colossians and when he establishes a doctrine early in the book he then moves to applying it to your lives later and that's so key it's one thing to know something it's another to let your actions follow what you know allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. As we look at this, so what, what is Paul talking about? Go back to chapter 11. You got your Bibles open there? Look at chapter 11. Look at verse number 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath given to him and it shall be recompensed again unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And what we see here is, Paul's just saying, and what we see here, we see a doxology, a praise to God. And Paul says, because of what the Lord has done, and because of his riches, because of who he is, and how everything is through him and in him and all of those things, I therefore, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So because of who God is and all that he's done, Paul says, 
This is why you should surrender yourself to him. That's why you got to allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. Your belief is very important. People have different ideas. You say, well, why, why, why should I present myself a living sacrifice to God? Because you read the last verse of chapter number 11, for of him and through him and to him are all things. We belong to him. Everything that we have is his. So because of that, we should be willing to be a living sacrifice. But you've got to allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. Number two. Number two. Answer God's urgent appeal. Based on all that God has done, we see here, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. This means to call to one side in order to persuade someone to do something. Someone said like this, I appeal to you therefore and beg of you. That's basically what he's saying here. And that's what Paul does in other passages. Um, Ephesians 4, verse number 1. The Bible tells there, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, beg of you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You see how Paul does this here as well? As we look at these things here, and I want you to notice this, that you notice he calls them brethren, and indicating his affection for them as a member of God's family. And he's begging his brothers and sisters, not unbelievers, to follow the Lord and to be a living sacrifice. It's a decision that needs to be made by believers. You see, the book of Romans was written to those who were saved. Paul was writing to them and saying, because of what the Lord's done, I beseech you, I beg of you, that you become a living sacrifice. That's a decision we as the people of God have to make. We see, number one, we need to allow our behaviors to flow from our beliefs. Number two, we need to answer God's urgent appeal. Number three, what needs to motivate us? Be motivated by God's mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's what we see there. By the mercies of God. Paul's making this plea to be a living sacrifice by the mercy of God. The original word here for mercy is actually plural, and it's talking about the multitude of mercies that God's given to us. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, look at this, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Imagine, if you will, and as you think about this, all the mercy of God in our lives. Man, church, instead of focusing on the news, instead of focusing on social media, I'm about ready to just get rid of social media completely. I'm so sick of everything that I see, so tired of people that, and it's amazing, people that I call friends, they have, and they got different opinions than I do on things, and I'm fine with people having it, but it's amazing. I voice how I feel, and that's not okay with them. But I don't say anything about what they say, and they're wrong, but that's, that's fine. But it's amazing how, just amazing how people are and how negative and how awful it all is. But think about this. We should just thank God for his mercies. You know, sometimes when Disneyland was open, 
we would go, we had the tickets and things, and one of Caroline's favorite things, and I think Alyssa's too, they love the parades. To me, why are you going to Disneyland to sit to watch a parade? You know, the characters aren't even real, and uh, it's hot. Go on a fun ride would be my guess. But think about that with the Lord. Just put before your eyes all of his mercies going before you. That's what this is talking about. Someone said this way when it came to worship, how it says that a prerequisite to worship is mercy. And the prerequisite to mercy is doing something wrong. So if you've done something wrong, you're qualified for mercy. And if you qualify for mercy, you qualify for worship. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Let me repeat that for you, okay? Let's repeat the end of it there. And if you qualify for mercy, you qualify for worship. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. God is not merciful just once. He's merciful again and again and again. A guy that I wouldn't use very often for anything to quote, John Calvin, I'm not a big fan of his, but he did say something that was pretty good. And uh, he said, We'll never worship with a sincere heart or serve God with unbridled zeal until we properly understand how much we are indebted to God's mercy. God demonstrated so much mercy to us that we can't help but respond by surrendering our lives to him. That's why that wonderful song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and you get to that last verse there, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And when you view all of it in light of his mercy, it's like, how can I not live for him? And Christians, we get it backwards. We view it and we're like, he's God, so I just need to... No, look at what he's done. And yes, you should just worship him. But Paul's begging here by the mercies of God. And it's interesting to note, do you notice, it doesn't say here that we, we think, you've you got to understand, we, don't have, we think that we have to sacrifice or perform to get God's mercy, but it's backwards. We've been given God's mercy. And because we have his mercy, we worship him. You see how that works? I hope you understand what I'm saying there. God gives a multitude of mercies, and thank God for it. It's interesting, though, that Paul doesn't say in that verse, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the grace of God. He says mercy. Why not grace? Well, God's grace is demonstrated when we get what we don't deserve, whereas mercy is God keeping us from getting what we deserve. Micah 7, verse number 18, tells us, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Isn't that wonderful? He delights in mercy. Man, I look around our world and I get ticked off at people. And 
I don't think I'm the most merciful person in the world, and I would never claim to be. But what right do I have to get ticked off at people? You know who has a right to get ticked off? He does. But he delights in mercy. Thank God. So powerful. Lamentations 3, verse 22 is, of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed, because his compassions fail not. I've heard it said like this, we'll never praise Jesus until we prize him. His mercies have been multiplied to us. Let's praise him for it. A guy, and I can't even say Giglow, I think that was his last name, gave a helpful definition to worship. He said, worship is our response to what we value most. If we value God's mercy, we'll be motivated to give Him our very lives. He then says, so how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your loyalty. At the end of the trail, you'll find a throne, and whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of the highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. What has the highest priority in your life? What do you treasure most? What do you give your time to? What do you give your affection to? What do you give your energy to? What do you give your money to? Where do you give your loyalty? That shows us who's on the throne of our hearts. And church, most of the time, you get it wrong. And God's not on the throne room of the heart. He should be. He's worthy of it. We saw number three here. We need to be motivated by God's mercy. Number four. Let's review these points. Number one, we've got to allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. Answer God's urgent appeal. Be motivated by God's mercy. And number four, offer your body on God's altar. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That word present means to offer. As in the Old Testament, the priest would offer a sacrifice. That's what this is talking about. And it's in that technical term describing and bringing and presenting an animal for a sacrifice. It means to present once and for all. And by placing oneself at the disposal of another, it has the idea of relinquishing one's grip. That's pretty powerful. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. We want to control things. But I want you to understand something. God should have control. That's what this is talking about. The idea of a living sacrifice, we understand how sacrifices worked in the Bible. And that sacrifice would be made and it would be a dead sacrifice when it was done. But we're called to present our bodies to the Lord and we're, ex we're exhorted to offer our total being to Him. 
not just bits and pieces. You say, why? Because of 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God just doesn't want part of your life, Christian. He wants all of it. He wants every bit of it. The problem is, we like to give God the pieces we like to give Him. We don't give Him all. And as believers and as followers of Him, we belong to Him. And after all He's done, we should be a living sacrifice. Romans 6, verse number 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. It says there we're supposed to give, all, we're supposed to give it all to Him. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Yield it and give it to Him probably heard the story about the pig and the chicken walking down the road together, right? Ever heard that story? Pig and the chicken walking down the road? Well, you're going to hear about it tonight. They came upon a sign advertising a breakfast to benefit the poor. The chicken said to the pig, we should donate to that worthy cause. How about if I give an egg and you provide the ham? To which the pig replied, not so fast. For you, that would be a contribution. But for me, it would be a total commitment. And too many of us would rather make a contribution than a full commitment to God. Paul continues on to say that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Sacrifices were supposed to be without blemish and defect. What does that mean? We are to give God our very best. Think about Leviticus 1, verse number 9. The Bible tells us, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And what we see is God was pleased by the sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. You want to please God? We're supposed to be a living sacrifice, holy, that's acceptable unto God. And after all he's done, it's our reasonable service. You know, we look at this and we think about it, and when we think about worship, worship does not, did, did I like the music that we sang tonight? Or did the service please me? If that's our attitude, you're missing the whole point. It's not to please you, it's to please the King of Kings. The real question is, is my worship, both here and outside this room, is it pleasing to God? Our purpose in everything that we do should be to please God, to be wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. What we do should be something that is acceptable to Him. And as we worship Him, and I'm going to dive in, this last point here in a minute is really going to bring it home and tie this all together, and we're going to go get somewhere in just a moment. But I want you to realize tonight as we look at this here, and I want you to understand something, that when we... Worship is more than just coming to church. Worship is more than singing a few songs when you're sitting in church. Worship is more than those things. Worship is something that we do daily. Worship is something that should be a part of our lives all the time. And 
we see, it says, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. It's something that we should do. And it's service number five tonight, and this one will probably be on for a little bit, is live a lifestyle of service worship. We're so accustomed to equating what happens in a church service as worship. That is a form of worship, but that is not worship in its entirety. We might even call a service a worship service. And we sing songs, four or five of them, three or four, whatever the case may be. But I want you to understand something. If all your worship is, is what you do for 30 minutes, three times a week within the four walls of this place, that is not true worship to God. You think about it, if we look at God, there are 10,080 minutes in every week. And you give God, if you came to three services a week, you give God, not, you give God 180 minutes out of 10,000. 10% of 10,000 would be 1,000. You're at about 1% of your entire minutes in a week. If you came to all three services a week that you give to God. And when we think about that, if we just have the time that we're together, first off, we should make the most of it. And a lot of times we don't. I want to give you a few little thoughts. These are just side notes, and then I'll finish up and give you the last little bit of the message tonight. But some things to help you when you prepare for church. First one is this. Prepare yourself. What does that mean? Get yourself ready Saturday night. Get yourself ready Friday, Saturday. Your week should lead you to the house of God. This is the problem. We come to church wanting church to fix the mess we've been all week long. It doesn't work that way. Hey, but I, I challenge you before Sunday, get right with God, confess your sins, read your Bible before you come. Come expecting God to do something and see if your Sunday morning is not different than what it normally is. Prepare yourself before you come. If you notice, that's the way it's supposed to be. Prepare yourself. How about another thing when it comes to church? Be punctual. I know this isn't easy for everyone, but we should be on time. If God's important, you will be on time. And you say, oh, pastor, it's just hard for me to be on time. So if you were late to work every day, you would get fired. Right? Unless you have a boss that will let you be late every day, and if that's the case... If you're like Joe and you work for your dad, you can do whatever you want, but most people don't have that luxury of doing things like that. Oh, I get to work on time. Then you can get to church on time. Make it a priority. Prepare yourself. Be punctual. Here's another good one. Work on your posture. Don't slump down and get ready for your long winter's nap you're about to take. Don't be on your phone during the service, except if that's how you use your Bible. And there are people who use their phone for their Bible. And, um, yeah, some people do. 
I'd love to see some people's phones after church and see if they really just used it for their Bible or what they really did. But that's between them and God, not me. And uh, you got to remember something when you work on your posture and things. You're not customers or consumers. Do you know what you are? You're a participant in God's audience. You're coming to meet with God. Then the fourth one would be ignite some passion. Come ready to fully participate. Knowing that as we read that first verse out of John chapter number 4, that God is seeking worshipers who have their hearts and their heads engaged. Someone once described a football game as this, 22 men on a field badly in need of rest, being watched by 72,000 spectators badly in need of exercise. I'll say that one more time for you because some of you were half asleep and you're in that slouched down position. Someone described football as this, 22 men on the field badly in need of rest, being watched by 72,000 spectators badly in need of exercise. Christianity is not a spectator sport, and worship is never meant to be something that we watch. It's something that we're supposed to do and be a part of. As I read Giglo early, I'm going to read a little bit more of something else that he said. He said, Most of my life I thought that you went to church to worship, but now I see the better approach is to go worshiping to church. Our time on Sundays and our time on Wednesdays is extremely important. But let me just remind you of something. It's how you obey God during the week. That's worship. That's where it begins. You can come and you can worship Him in song and we have a corporate worship together. But worship, that's not what worship's all about. Worship for Abraham was obeying God and going to offer his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's where it begins. We need to worship him. Worship's not just what we do here on Sundays. True worship is presenting of our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice and saying, Lord, it's yours. Because of what you've done, because of your mercies, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. That's true worship. That's where worship begins. How do you act? How do you do things for the Lord? Worship's not just a Sunday morning thing. Worship is an everyday thing. If we're going to truly understand what worship is all about, we've got to understand it's something that our lives need to be involved in. Did you worship God today? Oh, I worshiped Him tonight when we came to church. No, 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 no. Your private worship leads to your corporate worship. Do you know something for myself, and you might not be the same as me, and it might just be that you're a better Christian than I am, and that's possible. Well, some of you may not just can't. But the weeks that I am not the Christian I should be, even more than normal, you know, there are weeks, there's never a week where I could look back and say, man, I just, 
I nailed it this week. I was great this week. I've never been able to say that. I wish I could. But you know, there are weeks where you look at yourself and like, I did okay. I did okay. And then there's weeks where you look at yourself like, I was a mess this week. I notice the weeks I do okay, and the more my heart is ready, the better the corporate worship in my heart is. Where when I am not on track like I should be, it's easier to be distracted in the corporate worship. And that's me. You could be completely different. I'm not saying everyone's the same. But I think it's true. And I think we got to get a hold of this thing. And Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. The first time we see worship mentioned in the Bible, it's tied to a sacrifice. How do we begin worshiping God? God, I give you myself. These eyes are not mine to look at what I want to look at with them. They're your eyes. These ears are not mine to listen to bad things. They're your ears. My body belongs to you. That's where worship begins. I heard someone paraphrase Romans 12, 1. I'm not big on, I'm not a paraphrase guy, okay, on the Bible. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. But I think, I love how this was worded. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your body as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. I think that pretty much breaks it down pretty well. In light of all of his mercy, Paul begs Christians, hey, live for, live for the Lord. Be a living sacrifice. You see, we think that worship just involves music. And worship does involve music. And you're going to hear more about that next week. And I'm going to go a little deeper than what I did last week into that. But I think long before you get to music and to that side of worship and deeper into worship, you've got to see where worship begins. And worship begins with being a living sacrifice. That's where worship begins. Say, Pastor, I want to worship the Lord. Are you a living sacrifice? Start there. Give your life to Him. Be that living sacrifice. Start your worship there. And then next week we'll carry on a little deeper and get a little further. God, you know, as we think about all these things, we just need to give Him our all. Sometimes we like to give God part. You know, that song should have been written. Part of, part of me to Jesus, I surrender. That's how the song should have been written. But that's not the song is all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. If you read through and you think about an Old Testament sacrifice, do you realize when the sacrifice is given that the sacrifice doesn't get to decide for itself what it does? It's a sacrifice. Let's worship him. And let's live our lives daily as a living sacrifice. Let's serve him the way we should serve him.
not the way we want to do it, not what we think is best. In light of all he's done, let's be a living sacrifice and do it God's way. And after all, after all the Lord's done and all of his mercy, it's only reasonable that we would do it. It makes sense. After all the Lord's given to us and after all he's done, how good he's been to us, it's only reasonable that we'd be a living sacrifice for him. Let's live for him. Let's worship him with our sacrifice. And next week we'll carry it even deeper. Father,